Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself, and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. My name is Sloan Fremont, and I'm your host. This is a show where we talk about how to change our lives by changing our thoughts. That has been the core of what I've talked about over the past five years on this show. That is what I have learned about myself in my own life that um, is actually what's going on in my head that's holding me back from the things that I want. And I have I have control over that. I have more control over that than I was ever led to believe. And this show we explore that. We explore different ways to do that. Um, we explore how to really get out of our own heads and, and start to form new perspectives and also really reminding ourselves on every episode that we don't have to believe everything we think. We actually do not have to believe everything we think. So this week, I'm excited to bring you two guests. I have Chris Gorell and Candace Sogren, and they're authors of the book, Typhoon Honey, The Only Way Out is Through. Um, I absolutely love this book. I recommend anybody who's listening, I recommend right now that you go get this book because it is the really everything in this book is what we've talked about on the show for the past five years. Um, but it's written in a way that's very easy to understand, very practical. Um, and, and just very, and there's, there's exercises in there to reinforce what they talk about. Um, and I, I just absolutely love this book. So I'm excited to bring them, them to you this week so we can really dig into what they talk about in the book and really that concept of the only way out is through. I mean, I know a lot of times in the work that we talk about on the show, maybe in things that you're doing in your own life, like we just want to skip to the good part, right? We just want to skip to the part where everything is figured out and, um, and, and we're in that place that we want to be. But unfortunately that is not how the world works that, um, we actually have to go through things in order to get to the other side. So this book explores that. And I can't wait to get to the conversation with Chris and Candace today. Before we do that, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. First off, um, if we are not connected on social media, please be sure to scroll down to the bottom of this, wherever you're watching this on, if you're watching the video or if you're listening to the podcast, go to the description and, and the links for all of my social media are in the show notes description. So please connect with me on there. Um, I'd love to get to know you more. I'd love to hear your feedback on any of these episodes. I'd also love to know any questions you have or anything that you would like me to bring up on um, some upcoming episodes. So please be sure and do that. If you have to pause the video right now and go down there and let's get connected. The second thing I want to remind you of is my Create What You Speak Academy. This is where I've taken the concepts that I talk about in the show and I've created various courses, journals, and just different ways that you can really interact with yourself in order to bring these concepts to life in your world, to be able to change your world, to be able to think about what it is that you want and put together a plan for yourself to get you there. So, um, I have in probably in the next couple months, I'm going to be launching a new course. Um, I don't want to give too much away right now because I don't have the title quite ironed out yet, but it's going to be something that I know you're going to want. It's going to be really a focused way to determine 
what it is you want in your life and go about how to get that. And it's going to help you expand your thinking, think bigger, and really, really narrow down what it is that you want. And I'm going to give you all the tools to do that. So in order to get notified by, of this, please go to my website, sloanfremont.com. And on the right-hand side, there's a, a an opt-in box where you can put your email in so you get um, on my newsletter list. And for those who are subscribed to my newsletter, you're going to be the first to know about the course and you're going to be the first to get the lowest price for this course. So please be sure to go to Sloan fremont.com click on the box on the right hand side enter your email address click um send and there you go and you're on my my newsletter list and you'll be the first to notify be notified of that so pause the video pause the podcast get signed up and then come back and i'm going to get um rolling with the interview with chris and candace I want to welcome today Chris Gorell and Candace Sogren, authors of the book Typhoon Honey, The Only Way Out is Through. This book shows how the science and psychology of transformation actually works and that it isn't woo-woo or magic. <laughs> well, we love woo-woo and magic on the show, but we also love practicality. So Chris and Candace, I want to welcome you to the show today. Thanks, Sloan. Great to meet you, Sloan. Yeah. So let's start out maybe by doing some introductions. We'll start maybe with Chris and then we'll move to Candace and we'll get into the book and, and get going. So uh, my name is Chris Garrell. I'm a retired um, executive leadership coach. I've been doing that for about 40 years um, uh, of my professional life and um, have uh, retired to dedicate myself to writing. And so um, it's it's kind of my hobby turned career now. So, um, you know, my my background is psychology and um, and theology and kind of blend the two together and um, bring a lot of different points of view uh, from those different disciplines into what I do with with individuals um, as a coach. And Chris mm -hmm. says that he's in, in retirement, but I keep trying to pull him out of retirement to be my executive <laughs> coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll introduce myself quick, quickly. I, my name is Candace Sogren. I am an attorney um, by trade and training. I'm uh, lead an executive sales team for um, for a high growth uh, startup company, tech technology company. And um, so I really come at all of this from the business perspective, from the ROI perspective. You'll probably hear that in this conversation today. Um, but I fell into transformation four years ago um, because I was told I wasn't very emotionally intelligent <laughs> by my boss. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I went to a, a training to, to learn how to be more emotionally intelligent. And, and it really changed my life, changed my changed my entire family, changed my my the way that I, I look at the world and uh, super grateful for these lessons. And that's why I wanted to pass them on along with yeah. this. Yeah, well, I have to say, I, I absolutely loved your book, Typhoon Honey. I mean, I, I don't know if you can see on, on here, but I have pretty much almost every page. And as you look through, it's highlighted. There, there was so much in here that, um, as I, you know, as, as I said in the intro, that it isn't woo woo or magic because sometimes when we get into transformational work, it, it, it can go down that path. And some people get maybe, um, they're not interested in that or it gets too, too far down a, a path that maybe they're not comfortable with. But what I loved about your book was the practicality of it, how it was very, um, you explained it in a, in a lot of ways, ways that I never heard it before that helped me understand these topics differently, um, which is one of the things I really appreciated about it. Um, but before we get too far into it, I want to talk about the title, Typhoon Honey. Can you tell us where that came from? Yes, I would love to tell you. Uh, so, so when Chris and I were writing the book, I was telling him about, uh, so I, I went on a six month honeymoon when I got married. Um, and this was part of living a life by design. Um, and so, so I, uh, my husband and I traveled the world. We went to 13 countries in six months. And one of those countries was, was, uh, Vietnam. And we had a tour guide who took us through the Coochie tunnels and, 
um, really like walked us through the Vietnamese perspective of the Vietnam War, which was really powerful and moving, um, slightly embarrassing as an American. And uh, and this tour guide, though, was hilarious. He was the happiest, smallest, like ball of fire. And his name was Typhoon Honey. And he was just so full of joy and love and just exuding it from his pores. And I went up to him and I said, how can you do this? How can you do this every day? Take us through one of the most painful moments in Vietnamese history with Americans. And he said, that wasn't you. He said, you're an American, you're an amazing human. And, um, and I just saw love. I saw overcoming. Um, I saw all of the things that inspire me about humanity in this person. And so I wanted to dedicate this to, to Typhoon Honey. Kristen ha- has another um, additional meaning that we've added to it, but that's where it started. Well, the additional meaning is, you know, it's, it's, the po- most powerful force on the planet is a typhoon. I mean, they're bigger than hurricanes. They're bigger than any other uh, any other force. They're they're massive, um, and at the same time, uh, honey is the uh, one of the oldest foods and the purest food. It, it's the only food that we know that does not spoil, doesn't mold, um, and and so there's this juxtaposition of of power and purity uh, mm-hmm. that that stuck together too. And and so I just loved his name. And we, you know, we, we also, you know, glommed on to the, uh, to the meanings behind the, the two words, typhoon and honey. So it really kind of, it, it, it stands for a whole bunch of stuff. But most importantly, I think it is, you know, typhoon honey is the kind of person who, who is so powerful that you have no other choice than to be joyful around him. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we talk about transformation, we're really talking about getting to a state where you're infectious. Um, your joy, your life, the way you live, the power that you exude um, in in manifesting what you manifest um, is contagious and, and other people want what you have. And so it really stands for that. Yeah, well, I love that. I don't know. Obviously, I never, I didn't meet Typhoon Honey, but I feel like I did after reading the book because the, the way it's explained in here, and I, I just absolutely love that. So let's get into a little bit more about the book. So you talk at the beginning of the book about how everything is connected and you talk about the laws of the universe. What do you think is the biz- biggest mi- misconception people have about how everything is connected and how the laws of the unis- universe fit together? In 25 words or less, right? Exactly. We've only got an hour, so let's go. <laughs> right. Oh, man, there's so many, so many, um, if we unbundle that misconception around how things are connected, you know, we grow up in a society and, and most Western cultures, uh, we grow up um, thinking of ourselves as individual, as separate from each other. Um, you know, in, in Eastern societies, that's not so much the case. You know, they, they learn unity they learn interconnectivity um yin and yang and and how things are intertwined together in sub-saharan africa they they learn ubuntu and and so there are many places on the planet where where people learn the interconnectivity of everything and all life but we you know the people we talk to most often um grow up with this myth of individuation of of i am separate from you um and i think that's the biggest thing that that, that gets in the way a lot of times uh, of our transformational journey is that we, we, we see ourselves as separate and distinct rather than so totally intertwined. I am so much a part of Candace and she of me that, that, you know, we, you know, we, we're like twin brother and sisters that never had the same parents, but, <laughs> um, but, but we, you know, we've become intertwined in our, yeah. in our work together. 
Yeah. I, I really love that reminder. I've, I've talked about that on the show a lot about, um, about that separation and feeling alone for myself personally. It was so painful for me. I couldn't even say the word alone for the longest time without crying because that's how separated I had led myself to believe that I was from everything. Mm. And just over even the past, I'd say the past couple of months, uh, my dad passed away very unexpectedly a couple of months ago. And I, I almost feel like it wasn't till then that I realized that because I had put all these labels on myself, right? I'm, um, I've never been married. I'm single. So there's something wrong with me, right? Wrong in quotes, right? And what I realized after going through all this that I went through with my dad and just my own journey, that it was it wasn't the labels that I was putting on myself that were causing the pain. It was the separation I was leading myself to believe that I was alone. And that because of that, um, there was something wrong with me or that I was never going to get out of that, that, that space or, you know, all of these emotions that came with that and that, that remembrance that we're not alone, that we're all connected. It's something I try to talk about on the show because I, it needs to be reminded because for me that it wasn't just, Oh, you're separate. It, there were so many layers underneath that, that I didn't understand played into that. It's not just the also that, you know, I feel like I'm wrong or, or I'm not worthy, but it's also like, I had the opposite um, perspective before coming into this work, which was no one else can be trusted. Uh, I, yeah. I, I had told myself a story my entire life that people can't be trusted. So I have to do everything myself. Yeah. And so I I ended up feeling very alone and frustrated and not very well liked. Um, and, and Chris, <laughs> along with many others taught me, you know, that, that one of the things we talk about a lot in the book is fractals and, yeah. and the idea that like th there's this repeating behavior. And so if I believe inherently believe that I am alone and no one else can be trusted, that is the world I'm going to create for myself. Right. And right. so, so the science that Chris brings into this was so helpful because it like, it gave me a framework with which to understand that I've been creating my own environment of lack of trust. Right. And, so and it puts the control back to you. It, it, it helps you feel, okay, now I can take control and change the situation. I'm not a, a quote victim of the situation. And, and something you mentioned, Sloan, in, in, in the way you describe that is, is something that's very important in the work that we do in transformation. And that is separating the, the physical historical events from the story about those events. Right. You know, we, we often deal with people who've been traumatized in their youth. You know, they, maybe they were, they were, they were abused by a parent or, you know, sexually assaulted or, or whatever. You, you know, that's a reality. But what we what we make up about who I am as trash or who I am as unworthy or who, you know, whatever that is, that's the story and the interpretation that we make up about it. And what transformation works on is we can't change history. No, but we can change your interpretation that you made about yourself and you made about the world that that you're separate and, and nobody can be trusted or you know that's all an interpretation and if you made up the interpretation in the first place you can change that interpretation and make it serve you in a way that's that's much more powerful so the work of transformation isn't ignoring history or ignoring reality it's it's altering the interpretations that we have about ourselves and about the world yeah yeah and that um even for myself, I felt like when I was almost like I had gotten myself into this place too, where I was, what you were talking about with, um, pretending something didn't happen per se. Like I would, when I was in that state of wanting, of feeling alone, it was like, I was creating this, I don't know, like I didn't want to 
face other things because I felt like I was, because I had that truth so ingrained in me that it, 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 like you were talking about with the fractals, it went out in all these different areas that I never could have understood until I started doing this type of work. Like you might think something small and insignificant is, um, oh, it's just my personality or it's just the way I am. But in doing this and understanding more about myself, I can see, wait a minute, I'm this way because I have this belief or I'm this way because of this, whatever happened that I've, I've um, led myself to the, believe this story is true. Yeah. And, and what's, what's amazing too, is what Chris was saying is like, change your words, change your world, change yeah. the story that you're telling yourself and your environment changes as a result. So as I mentioned, I had my, my boss told me I wasn't very likable. That's how I got into this work. Yeah. And I, and I, I had no friends at work. Um, and people, you know, thought I was on an agenda, all of that. Since that time, I've built an entire company. We've graduated thousands of, of adults through, through emotional intelligence training. That same boss has actually become my best friend. Um, and, and so, and has gone through this training as well. And, yeah. and so, so it's really amazing. Once you change that little story that you continue to tell yourself. Yeah everything around you changes. Yeah. Your world changes. And you talk about that in the beginning of the book, when you talk about uh, Newton's third law of motion for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And you talk about when we decide to start making these changes, you know, we have this force that's moving, propelling us to want to make these changes, but then there's the other side of things where the world, it's almost like the world pushes back with an equal force, right? Which can make it feel like, Oh, this is so hard. I can't do it. Or um, all these, maybe these, obstacles, obstacles come up that make it feel like, well, what's the point? Why bother with this kind of stuff? But that in my experience and what I've been through is when those things come up and I I get some pushback, I know I'm on the right path and I've just got to be willing to tell myself this, tell myself different stories so I can move past that and get, get on, you know, get past that, that those things happening. So can you talk a little bit more about this and what maybe how that's shown up in your lives? Yeah, we, we actually celebrate the pushback, you know, because, yeah. you know, it is. We call e- it our big yes moment. <laughs> yeah. It's equal yeah. opposite. It, but, but, you know, if you make a big change in your life, um, your life has been set up to hold you in stasis. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you, you have a bunch of, of, of attachments all around you that hold you in place right here. And then when you decide to move all of those things, let's say they're rubber bands or whatever, all those things are going to give you resistance to that. Yeah. And, and, and so the bigger your change, the bigger that equal and opposite reaction is. So when it shows up, we go, yes, <laughs> you know, that must have been a big change because boy, look at how, how it's showing up instead of saying, oh my God, this is so hard. We celebrate the resistance and say, oh, that's just the universe saying, do you really want to do this? Are you really yeah. serious about this? Well, handle that, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so it's, it's a way to reframe how what we, what we experience as resistance, you know, shows up to us. We, we see it now as something that's affirming our change because yeah. of the opposite reaction. And I can give an example of this. So, so my husband and I are about to adopt a child and, um, and you know, we, we've been, you know, talking about it for years. We've been doing social worker interviews for months. And right before we went on this, we're on a trip right now. And right before we went on this trip, the social worker said, you're approved. So that means like you could be taking a child home by Christmas. And as soon as that happened, 
both of us like pulled back and we were like, oh, and, uh, and, and then, you know, all it seems like people just came out of the woodwork to say, but your family's so great as it is. Are you sure you really want to do this? What if things go south? And like, we got, I call it considerations, right? So all these considerations started showing up, popping up all like, like little whispering in my ear. And, and I, and then I had a, a real honest conversation with my husband and I said, you know, this is, this is our test. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and what we decided is we're going to use this fear as fuel. So rather than use the fear to stop us from making forward motion, that this fear is exactly why we should be moving forward. We actually did the same thing when, when, uh, you know, we got married, my, my wife and I got married, um, uh, with no intention of having kids. I was previously married and had two grown up daughters already. Um, and we got married 30 years ago and we just, you know, didn't intend to have any kids. And, and then, you know, we one time had a scare and we said, all right, so let's, let's imagine that we're going to have kids and for the next month go about telling everybody that we're going to have, we're going to have a child Um, and see how that feels, you know, (laughs) and, and allow the equal and opposite reaction to, you know, mess with our minds and things like that. And um, we found that at the end of that, not only were we prepared better, but actually Sarah became pregnant. <laughs> and, oh, wow. <laughs> and, and it sort of like manifested itself right out of that, that whole conversation. So, um, and, and, you know, he's now 24 years old and, you know, the, you know, one of the many joys in my life, but, um, but, you know, going into it without hesitation, because we had already gone the, through the trial, like you were talking about, Candace, of, of like, just wearing it, putting it on as a, as a suit coat and seeing if it fits uh, for yes, a while. For sure. My boyfriend and I are going through that now, too. We're talking about getting married. And I mean, th- and this is something that um, I've talked a lot about on the show, as I mentioned about my previous stories I had made up about myself. So I'm facing the same thing. And I'm kind of talking to a few friends about it. And it's like, like, what about this? How are you going to do that? Where are you going to do, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm like, and, and I, I'm glad we're talking about this because honestly, if, if there's one thing that everybody takes away from this interview, I hope that, that this lands with everyone, this, this, when you want change and you start to take the steps to make change, the resistance doesn't mean you should stop. And right. for many years to me, that's how I interpreted the resistance that I hope oh, I'm doing it wrong. I better stop. But as we're talking about right now, the resistance, that's normal. That's part of it. That's, that's yes, we were moving forward. The physical law. And it's also the subtitle of the book, right? The only way out is through. And essentially right. what, we, what we like to say, Chris and I often say, what's in the way is the way. So if you're, if you're feeling pushback, then it's like, okay, I'm going in the right direction. Let's keep going. And I think so often our students and the people that we coach will say, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I said I wasn't going to do this. And then suddenly, you know, things happen. And it, I t- it told me I made the right decision. And I was like, well, now, now, now you're just collecting evidence that, that you shouldn't move forward rather than, than actually taking yourself on about what that is in resistance for you. Um, right. so, so I always, I always warn readers and our, our students, like, be careful because it's going to feel easy to stop. It's going to feel easy yes. to give up. Uh, and then you'll collect evidence to say that was the right decision. When in right. reality, the resistance is actually the, 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 the direction of growth. Right. Our minds are our worst enemy, you know. Oh, for sure, for sure. And and so we're always, you know, trying to be aware of where did that thought come from? Mm-hmm. You know, did it come from my history of of being told that I can't 
you know, the, the three words that children learn most are no, don't and stop, you mm-hmm. know, and, and so, you know, we grow up with that, that belief, you know, we grow up, you know, science tells us that we learn 90% of our vocabulary before the age of five when we're little. So 90% of the words that describe our world around us were learned when we were little kids, when the world was bigger, faster, stronger, and smarter than we were. Right. And so we learned that we're just little, little nothings. And so we either have, we either have this, this belief, well, maybe I am nothing or, oh yeah, I'll show you. Right. You know? and both right. Tanis and I are, oh yeah, I'll show you. you yeah, know? That's how I am it's too. Still coming, it's still coming from that same belief that I'm not enough. Right. So all of those thoughts that come out, you know, when when we have, you know, uh, as Candace says, you know, are we just, um, you know, collecting evidence around that? Are they are they collecting evidence to affirm that old belief, that five year old belief that I'm not enough? I'm not bigger, faster, stronger, smarter. That's what the world is, you know, or are they are they, you know, collecting evidence of, oh, yeah, watch this, you know, and and I'm just trying to 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 fight the world, you know, to prove myself, to prove to myself that I am enough, even though I still hold that belief of not enough. What we have to do is really eradicate the belief that I'm not enough. Right. I'm absolutely enough the way I am. Right. And, and you talk in the book about how our perception is not reality. Right. And I, and I think you even say, be skeptical of your beliefs. Yeah. And I, that is that, that simple statement right there. Um, I've actually, I've been going to a grief counselor with, after everything with my dad, because, um, it was, it was such, I'm still in shock. I think about it, but, um, I talked with her about that, about being skeptical of our beliefs because, um, especially, and grief is different because you're, it's, it's, you're, you're just in an altered state when you're experiencing that. But I still found that I, it was so easy for me to pull myself down into these these pits of despair and, and feel like almost like I was justified or that I should stay there or you know all of these all of these things that come up with that. But being skeptical of our beliefs and, and understanding that just because we perceive something in the way that we perceive it doesn't mean that it's actually true. I feel like I tell myself this this almost every day. And it's like almost every day I'm still surprised that what I believe is not true. <laughs> Even after all these years, I still feel that way because it's so strong within. So you're talking about something that's really important. And that's the distinction between a, an authentic emotion, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the appropriate emotion when our father dies is grief. Mm-hmm. You know, it hurts. It's a loss, you know, and, and we feel that emptiness. We don't know what to do with the love that we had for that person now that that person's not there to receive that love. And so there's this hollow feeling and we call it grief, right. you know, but then there's that despair that is the mind making up out of its out of its own scarcity or whatever, um, that this is the way it's always going to be, you know, yes. Or, yes, you know, yes. and, and that's what despair is. There's no way out of this. You know, and again, come back to it, the only way out is through it. You know, go through right. the grief and you, you never know, not going to get over the loss of your father. You know, it's not something to be gotten over. Right. To be embraced. Can be and, fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and one thing too, so something my husband tells me often is, is feelings aren't facts. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and anytime, so, so we, do, we, we lost a child last year, which Chris is very aware of. And, and so I, I, first, my heart goes out to you for the, for the pain that, that you've been feeling. And for so many of, of I'm sure your listeners that have experienced the, the, the pain of loss. Um, 
but but you know the the stories that we make up about our current life as a result of that are the parts that that get confused and so I was, you know, at a point in, in grief last year where I, where I was like, I should get divorced and all, you know, like, like just basically bomb the whole, my whole world. Yeah. And my, and my husband said, babe, your feelings aren't facts. So mm-hmm. I invite you when, when you're feeling this way to just write down, what are the facts of your life? Yeah. And, and like, are those facts things that you, that you think are positive or that are negative. And if the facts are, are positive or negative, then make a decision from that. And that, that really helped me when I get, when I get spun up in, uh, yeah. in my stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry for your loss as well. I know it, the grief is, um, I've talked a lot about on it here. Um, and it's actually something I didn't think I was going to be able to talk about. And that's what you were talking about in that state of despair, where you feel like you're, you're stuck there and I will never be able to move on. But then you start to the only way out is through each day. It gets a little better, a little better and a little better. And then here we are being able to talk about it. And hopefully, you know, the listeners are able to understand if they're going through things like this, because especially, and this goes back, I think, to what you talked about, about being alone. If you try to go through these kinds of things alone, what I found is you just get yourself further into the spiral of your own self and your own story. And you start to believe your own story even more. So getting help in some way, whatever that means for you um, is to me has been, even through my whole journey, not just with my dad, but just, it's been such a, a monumental, like acceleration for my growth because I got out of my own head. I got somebody else gave me a different side of the story that I had never considered before. Right. And one thing that, that um, we talk about in the book is that we have, we have a formula for a difficult conversation. And the reason I share this yes, is because it, 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 yeah, it's, it's the path for getting unstuck. Um, yeah. And the path for getting unstuck is to say, okay, what are my fears? Like just be very clear on what you're afraid of, and what are my hopes? What are what what do I what do I what would I like um, to come out of whatever this current situation is? And then yeah. you say it <laughs> to someone. You actually get it yeah. out of your head. I, I talk about our our heads are like a bad neighborhood. You know, there's like there's like a car fire happening and gang fights yeah. and everything else. But once you get it out of your head and you talk about it with someone else, it gives you perspective and you can actually get unstuck. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that one of the things that that I really like talking about in terms of how transformation works is uh, is actually the brain science behind that. It's not just a matter of of saying so or declaring or, or saying what my hopes are um, and then magically they they manifest. Um, there's actually a part of your brain that's a very primitive survival piece of the brain. It's called the medulla oblongata. It's, it's mm-hmm. sorry to be a psycho <laughs> on you, but it's the, it's the brain stem itself. And, and within it, there's something called a reticular activating system that, that switches between foreground and background that says, mm-hmm. this is important to pay attention to. This is not important to pay attention to. And when you do something like saying what your hopes are, what your declaration is, what you're doing is you're actually engaging that part of the brain that then suddenly says that's important. Right. It's not like things manifest. They were already already there. They're surrounded by everything. Buddha says that everything that you want, everything that ever has been, everything that will be is already present in the now. You just can't see it. Right. Because, because the RAS is focused in on what it thinks is important. Right. And you're only looking at that slice. But when you say, OK, this is important now, this is my declaration, this is my hope, then you turn that system on to focus on those things. And suddenly all these things manifest in front of you. You look at them as manifesting, but they're just they've been there all the time. You just didn't see them. Now you can see them. Right. And that 
that um, that declaration is such a key part of it because everybody listening has experience where you, you, you know, you want something different, but you don't really know what it is. And so you kind of float around and you're kind of like, you know, there's no real um, structure to it. But once you, once you take the time to sit down, okay, what is it that I want? How do I really want my life to be? What do I want to experience? You start to, your focus. Now you have a plan, right? You, you at least know where you're going. And I love the story you share in the book about what you're talking about just now with that um, with it was already always there. Um, you give the example in the book about the, the finance, the woman with the money, and then she married someone who didn't have that perspective about money. And can you, do you want to share a little bit about that? Cause I think that's yeah. such a great example. It, it illustrates this, this so yeah. perfectly. So, so Mark is a salesperson, but, and, and, and very successful and, and very good at, at his job. But he believes that if you dropped any money on the, on the ground, you'd bend over and pick it up. So his belief, his operating belief is that money isn't on the ground. Belinda is a financial manager and a wizard. She is absolutely wizard. And she believes money is abundant and is everywhere. And so when they would, when they started dating, you know, Mark would say, you know, like every time they go out on a date, she'd pick up a, a dollar bill or a quarter or this. And so he started tracking it. And, and over the period of time that they were dating, um, he he saw her pick up, he calculated over $450 worth of just loose change that is right. on the ground that she, right. she always sees it. He never sees it, you know, and it's because she believes it's there. Money, money is abundant that she sees it everywhere. He doesn't believe it's there. If he dropped the $20, one time she found a $20 bill on, on the on the street by the curb. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he said, if I dropped the $20 bill out of my pocket and I got home and I found it was gone, I would retrace my steps through the whole <laughs> night and go find it. So his belief is it's not there. And he didn't see it. You know, And so- what's so interesting is they both could be standing in the same place. Exactly. And he wouldn't be able to see it. And that, so that, that, I love that example because you know, sometimes we hear people say everything you need is here. And then it's kind of like, Ugh, no, it's not. If it was here, I'd have it, you know, and, and there's a lot of like resistance that comes up to that. But this is how that works. This is how that works is because you're not focused on what it is that you want. So you're not seeing it. Right. Exactly. I was just going to say, this this just came up this this week. So I manage a sales team of about 25, 30 people. And we just all did did our quarterly reviews where we reported out on what we're going to do in the next half of the year. And half of my sales team declared, they said, okay, in the next six months, I'm going to deliver $5 million in in revenue. And half of the team declared nothing. Guess what's going to happen? I I can tell you today that at the end of this year, those who declared will be the top producers on my team and those who were just refused, I asked. So, so what is it that, you know, just, just tell me from, from what, everything, you know, tell me. And they're like, I just can't tell you. I already know. I already know what that, what that's going to deliver because, because right. they, they, they just won't, they won't say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a power to doing that, to making that declaration that's different from saying what I want. Yeah. You know, and, and you have to be careful with words, because if you look up the definition of the word want in the dictionary, it means lacking. Mm-hmm. Second yeah. definition is not desiring, but lacking, you know, for want of a better thing. And and so when we say I want something as a hope or a dream, we're also manifesting the fact that we don't have it. 
Right. You declare and you can feel that. You can absolutely. feel that internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you declare it, you say, this is what I'm doing. Um, I always use the example of Muhammad Ali, who everybody thought was just a, a buffoon and a braggart. But what he did was he painted himself into a corner where he had no other choice than to work his tail off. Because if he predicted he was going to drop somebody in the third round, he damn well better show up that right. way. But he right. would be the laughing stock of the world. You know, so he, he would say these things, these outlandish predictions, and then he would work himself into a frenzy so that he would manifest that and make it happen. Yeah. And so yeah. the difference between wanting and declaring. And declaring, and- those people who declared their, their revenue goals, they'll hit them and probably exceed them. Most right. likely. And they'll enjoy the journey because they know what they're working on, right? Versus those who won't are going to probably be in fear or worry, or am I going to lose my job? You know, there's totally different dynamic there. There's a pony in here somewhere. You know the story. (laughs) (laughs) This this, this takes me back to college. So, so in college, I I was in an interviewing class and it was like a final thesis. What it was to interview someone. And I said, I'm going to interview the governor. Mm -hmm. I had no connection to the governor. I was, 20 years old. And my professor was so impressed. And he was just like, well, how are you going to get to govern? I said, I, have, I don't know, but I'm going to interview the governor. And right. then my professor introduced me to the president of my university, who introduced me to our paid lobbyist, who introduced me to the governor. And guess who I got to interview? The, <laughs> the governor. governor. And so, so by putting <laughs> it out, by putting it Oh, and then I, I also got to meet President Obama. Yes, and, and I introduced him on stage. So, so that, actually, that led to that. Um, but the point is, the bigger we declare, the more it becomes real because it allows everyone around you to support you in collecting evidence to support that declaration. Right, and the universe supports you when you know what you want. Mm-hmm. Right, and mm-hmm. this also what you talked about in your book. You taught you have a section about commitment too. And mm-hmm. so in these declarations like this, when you're making this declaration, you're making a commitment to yourself, which is often the one that we drop the easiest, right? We let that fall away. Right, but right. what I liked you talked about was you said a commitment changes. I, I don't know exactly how you word it, but it was like a commitment changes your interaction with the world. Yeah. It, your relationship with the, with the world around you. Yes. Right. Because, because your commitment then becomes the reality that you're living into, not the what what we call considerations or circumstances. Right. So most people live their life in consideration of the circumstances around you. Well, I can't do that because this is in the way. I can't do that because of this way. And when you make a commitment, this is what I'm going to do. Then people say, yeah, but you got do this, you know, this is in the way. And we always, sentence, yeah. we, we always use a sentence, you know, the, the, these two sentences have exactly the same words in it, but they have different actions as a result. I want to go for a walk, but it's raining out. It's mm-hmm. raining out, but I want to go for a walk. You know, one person's going to go for the walk, irrespective. Right. Of, okay, I'll get wet. So what? You know, I want right. to go for a walk. Right, right. right. So, so, totally. So that's yeah. how commitments function for us is that 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 they alter our relationship with the circumstances the other thing i'll mention too is that one of the things we we often talk about with our students because we actually with with our students and and when we're in training with them we'll actually we'll we'll put them on a challenge you know for a certain period of time you get to be in committed action towards that declaration Mm -hmm. and what we say is that a vision without committed action is just a nice idea like, mm-hmm. you know, th- you can, you can declare something, but if you're not going to actually do something, if you, if you say, I'm going to meet the love of my life this year, but you never leave your house, <laughs> then, then that, that is never going to happen. The committed right. action is where the juice is. Right. Absolutely. And that, 
and keeping that commitment to ourselves. Like we said, when the, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, when we just make declarations and, and we start, okay, I want to do this right. There was that excitement. But then if it gets, um, you know, when we start to meet the resistances, then we're like, uh, then the, the commitment fizzles out and we, we suddenly want to give up so easily. And, and I, I, I have to check myself on that still to, to this day. Like, well, what do I really want here? I say, I want this, but you know, am I not willing to do the work or what's the deal? When again, when, when we change want to declare, you know, and, and, and come from, this is what I'm going to do. This is what my, you know, my declaration is, um, you know, then we're, we're able to take action, be in committed action around our declaration because it's something that we're in action, uh, you know, to do. It's not just a nice idea or a nice wish. Right. You talk also in the book about standing in source. Probably the most central concept. Yes. Yes. So I, I wanted to make sure we touch on this. So let's yeah. start out. What does source mean to you? For me, the fastest way to understand what I am the source of is to look at what's happening in my world. So as Chris talks about, you know, that, that, that circumstances are just, are just, they're not good or bad. They're just neutral, but they are great feedback for me of what I'm sourcing. So if I'm an environment, if I find myself in a work environment where I'm constantly stressed out, where my boss is awful, I I, I come back to myself and I say, how am I sourcing this? What Mm -hmm. is it that I'm putting out into the world that is creating this environment around me? So I believe in the core of who I am, that everything that happens in my life, I'm creating. (laughs) And, and, um, and, you know, and that, that, everything is simply a reflection to me. Every human is a perfect mirror. Every circumstance is feedback for what I'm sourcing. It gives me an opportunity to shift what I'm sourcing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's, it's um, a real powerful stance that says not like megalomania that I am, I am the originator of everything, but that I know that as the source I, I'm, I'm source of my interpretations of everything around me. I'm source of all the situations that I have. So uh, if I say I'm a powerful, you know, passionate person, um, and, and everything around me is wimpy and, and not, then, uh, that's a nice belief, but I'm, I'm actually sourcing what's, what's showing up around me. You know, right. so I'll know that I'm source of being a powerful human being when what shows up around me is is reflection of that power and a reflection of my passion uh, and things like that. It is what Candace said about, you know, when she went through her transformation, the same same transformation program that I went through many years ago. You know, I I had the uh, observation that it must have been that everybody took the weekend the same time I did because I went back to work and everybody had changed. (laughs) Everybody was so much nicer. Everybody was much more open, you know, more free conversations. It just was, it was really beautiful to see everybody. And, uh, you know, and, and it took me, I don't know, maybe a week to, to finally realize, oh, I changed my glasses. You know, I changed the filters that I was right. looking, through. looking through. Mm-hmm. And I was sourcing that, that angst of my, of, about my boss. I was sourcing the friction with my, with my coworkers. And when I stopped being the source of that stuff and started being the source of loving community, communicating, you know, caring about each other, they showed up differently to right. me. Right. Right. And so, it's, it's- It's so easy to put it on everyone else, right? Oh, he acts that way. She acts that way. Right. But, but 
and so standing in source then how would you explain that as you talk about in the book well i'm no longer the victim of my world yeah and one thing that chris just said earlier which and we've been talking about this is that power of declaration so mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier sloan you know I, like i i wanted to be in a relationship and now i have a boyfriend and now we're talking marriage right and so that's like what i want one of the things that chris and i talk about is often who am i because it mm-hmm. starts with who i am Right. And so I'll, as an example, before I went through transformation, I had a problem with lying. <laughs> I, I, I like told white lies and it goes mm-hmm. back to childhood. There's a reason for it, all the things, but I used to make up stories and I, I, I told white lies. And when I went through this training, I was told my experience of you is dishonest. And so I decided in that moment, I am an honest woman. I'm an mm-hmm. honest woman. And I would tell people all the time, I'm an honest, open, loving leader and mother. And since that day, it's been my lighthouse. I have stood as source for honesty for four years. And mm-hmm. everything that comes out of my mouth now is honest. And when you ask people, what's Candace like? They'll say, she's honest, <laughs> for better or worse, yeah. she's yeah. honest. And, sure. and so, so that's what I mean by standing as source, that we actually yeah. have the power to shift yeah. our marriage. So, and, and I think of source as just the opposite of victim. Yeah. You know, when so we almost live in a victim society that that honors the victimhood of people. And and to be sure, there are people who have been victimized. Absolutely. And my heart goes out to them. And and I, you know, I I work with them and I, you know, I do my best to 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 console and counsel and, and things like that. But but the shift that we're talking about here is a shift from I am at the mercy of the society and the environment and the the culture that I live in to I am the source of what happens around me. If I want a beautiful, loving community, if I want a community of people who are givers, then I become the source of that. And I, you know, in, in the way I act, the way the, the friends that I collect around me are givers, are, are, you know, those kinds of people who reach out to others. And suddenly, uh, you know, I am, you know, part of this huge community of people who act a certain way, who give a certain way. And I don't feel like I'm the victim of that anymore. I'm actually feeling like I am, you know, yeah. and yeah. those are the two most powerful words that a human being can utter are the voice of creation. I am. Yes, certainly. And what comes after that and what you is what you will believe about yourself and, or any, you know, and we touched on this briefly. And I just want to cover this really quick about feedback because, um, you talk through the book about how, you know, everything is feedback if we're willing to look at it that way. And we can look at our lives and, and see what's going on by the feedback we're getting. But then there's also the other side of that where there's random universal chaos, let's say, right? That there's things that happen in the world that, you know, so how do we distinguish between our own feedback and what maybe some of that randomness slash chaos that happens in the world? Well, you know, we use the story of, of you know, there's there's always a CNN reporter who goes to, you know, the, the town that got hit by a, a, a tornado. 
And, you know, they interview two families on one side of the street. There's one family. They're just in tears. We've lost everything. You know, we'll never be able to make it, you know, and they're just, you know, crying and things like that. And they go down the street and they interview another family and the mother's stroking the, the, the son's head. And she said, you know, like, we're so lucky we lost our house, but we're safe, yeah. you know. And, and so those random acts, those things that happen around us, um, happen around us. We don't deny that. But, you know, but, you know, using ourselves as a feedback barometer and saying, you know, um, how I react to that is is going to be a reflection back to me um, of, of who I am, you know, so. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I am a certain way in a disaster and my son sees me being that way, you know, the feedback I get from him is, Dad, I want to be like you. You know, um, and we also talk about feedback is neutral. Feedback mm-hmm. doesn't have a valence, positive or negative to it. Feedback is just reading the tea leaves that are in front of you and saying, oh, OK, that didn't work. That did work. You know, so is my reaction to the tornado or is my reaction to an earthquake or the flood or whatever, you know, random things that happen? Is that a source for feedback that reinforces my path or is it a source of feedback that says, oh, that's not working too well? Yeah. And, and one thing I'll just mention, too, is having just lost a child, I've, I've had now an opportunity, a blessing, a blessed opportunity to meet so many parents who've lost children. And, um, and, you know, every time I talk to a parent, they'll say, you can't tell me that that's, that I sourced that you can't tell me that like, like I was meant to lose a child. Um, but what I do say in response to that is yes, but can you find the gratitude in it? Because when my son passed, I had four beautiful days with him and I was overwhelmed with gratitude. Yes, I felt grief. And yes, it was, I, I, you know, I was in trauma and all the things, but I also felt immense gratitude for the NICU, for the doctors, for the nurses, for our community that came out in mass to support us. And in those moments of chaos, when that's happening to you, if you can find the kernel of gratitude in it, you, you, you will be able to source the next blessing in your life. Right. I don't know if that answers the question, but it, it does. I had a similar experience after my dad, because, you know, obviously I didn't source that. However, my response to this and the way I've changed and I can, I see things differently now. And I feel like, um, I honestly feel like that's what led to my boyfriend and I talking about getting married because I, I, it was almost like I was broken so far open that like all the hangups, all of the resistance, all of the internal fighting I had going on, I had nothing left for that. It, it was just done. It was gone. And that left me with the true me to be able to, what do you really want? I mean, this is it, right? This is, this is life. And I don't know if you guys remember that show one day at a time, but that song keeps playing in my head. Like, this is it. This is life. The one you get. So go and have a ball. Right. And that, that's what keeps playing in my head when I think of this, because this is it. I mean, I can, yes, I'm, I'm still dealing with the grief. Yes. I'm all of the things, but I'm also allowing it to change me in a way that is for the positive change me in a way that, um, you know, that is, is, is a positive way to move forward, I guess. Yeah, there's a special relationship between dads and daughters. And, and, you know, it's, it's special enough that it could occlude your relationship between you and your boyfriend. 
you know, and yeah. when your father, when your father died, you know, part of that bond was broken that freed mm-hmm. you to yeah. be Sloan, to be who you are alone. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a, a, again, a kernel of gratitude in there where you say, thank you, dad, for everything you did. You know, I got a call at 10 o'clock last night that one of my good friends just died mm. uh, last night. Um, I hear that. Yeah. The, the one person, the only phone call I was able to make on nine 11 was to bill. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't even call my wife. I mean, I, the, the phones were so jammed. Um, but I did get a call through to him and, and he and I talked through our experience that we were having that day. I'll never forget that moment. You know, that conversation that I had with, with, with my friend, Bill, mm-hmm. who last night succumbed to pancreatic cancer and, um, you know, was no longer with us. So, so do I, Yes. Am I in grief today? Yeah, absolutely. We're, you know, I'm getting to the age where, you know, I'm losing people, you know, right. I'm, yeah. I'm a sole survivor. I'm standing still, but, but I'm also grateful for everything that each of those people has, has given me. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, again, I always, I always look at that grief that we feel as, as, un, you know, as, 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 love that we have that we now no longer have an outlet for, you know, so, you know, what grief feels like is what do I do? Yeah. I love that person so much. I love my dad so much. What do I do with this love? You know? Yeah. And yeah. It's a good way to think of it too, because that is, it is, it's confusing also, I think. Yeah. You know, we look at it as not as I'm alone, but as, oh, you know, what's really happening here is I don't have an outlet for a chunk of love that I had yeah. you know, for yeah. this person. Then I can take that love and I can give it to Candace or to Sloan or to my wife or to my children um, or to my grandchildren. You know, like I can take that same love and, and say, you know, this belongs to Bill but I'm giving it to you now, you know, like yeah. I say that in my head. I don't say that to them, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I have only now, you know, to live. And, and another key kernel of, of what transformation is all about is getting us. It is an emotional intelligence program that we, that we work with. Um, and, and the core of emotional intelligence is really being present to the yeah. experience of the experience. You know, we have, emotions we have experiences but as soon as we have them our brain starts thinking about the experience making up an interpretation about the experience about the feeling and 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 it immediately pulls us out of the experience emotional intelligence is the ability to stay present to the experience of the experience to actually be here now with you and not you know not worrying about what's for lunch or you know what's next or or, or whatever um that's that's the essence of of living in the now uh, and 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 being able to experience another person um each each person one at a time yeah um we're coming up on the end of our time Um, i've absolutely loved this conversation this has been again your book is 
amazing. I want to thank you both for joining us and sharing your, your stories and, um, and just talking through this with us, because this is so important. It is, um, why I do this show to have these types of conversations. Um, and so it's so meaningful to me as well. So I want to thank you for that. Um, before we close out today, what do you hope the listeners take away after reading your book? Um, maybe what they learn, what they take away, what do you, what's your hope that, that they come away with from your book? My intention, my declaration is that those who read our book will realize that whatever I'm facing right now, there is a way, there is a way, there's a path, there's a path forward for me, whatever that is. And that there are plenty of tools that you, that, that you can put in your toolbox to get there. Yeah. Um, and these are some of those tools that supported Chris and I in getting through our path over and over and over again. But in those moments of darkness, when you feel backed into a corner, when you feel stuck, there is a path. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's my intention for this book. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's very similar. And, and that is, you know, like everybody everywhere wants, you know, a six pack abs with 15 seconds worth of workout. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. Just do one thing a day and, and you'll have, you know, you'll have a perfect body. Everybody wants the breakthrough of, of living a fully empowered life without the cost, without the work. And if there's one thing, it's like none of these things are negative there you know we we interpret all these these trials and tribulations as as negative what if we saw them as just the 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 barrier that we breaking we're breaking through to get to the full manifestation of ourselves so we say that there's no breakthrough without a breakdown first you know what has to break down is the way that you have it made up that the world is, is the world's going to roll over and play dead just because I say so. Right, right, <laughs> Wrong. right. You know, but <laughs> but that you know when you experience all these things, you know, to say yes to them, um, accept them, embrace them, and, and and that's the way through. You know, it's why we have that that subtitle is the only way out is through. Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, we wish it to be differently. I know we all do, but you know. It isn't. You know. No, and in that resistance to it, that causes a lot of pain, and you well, know, persists, right? Right, exactly. And so that, yeah, the only way out is through. So again, Chris and Candice, I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, can you tell the listeners how they can find out more about you and the work that you do? And Candice, I'll start with you. We are very involved with a, an emotional intelligence training program, which is uh, called Next Level. So Next Level Trainings, feel free to check it out, and you can come and co- you can go through as a student with us and. Um, and then obviously please read the book, uh, Typhoon Honey, the only way out is through. Um, so essentially the book is what we teach every single day in writing. Um, so that, that would be my, my request. We're both available on LinkedIn and all the social media kinds of sources that you can find. So you can just look up Candace Ogren or Chris Gorell and, and find out more about us, um, uh, on our, our own personal websites or on next level, um, uh, you know, and um, I, what else would I say other than, I mean, there's so many, so many more pieces to this that, that, yeah. that yeah. get a chance to, you know, pick up the book, 
It's available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Um, pick up the book, pass it on to friends. It's now available in hardback, so you can give it as Christmas presents and things like that. But um, but yeah, read the book and and take notes. Um, and you know, one of the hard things about writing a book is you have to you have to stop somewhere. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was the hard part for us is where do we stop? Because yeah. there's so much more that we do and there's so much more available. So, um, you know, get involved in it, you know, come and join us. Um, it's a great party. Yeah, well, that's how I felt about this interview. Where do I stop with my questions? Because I had so many. But um, again, I'll put the links in the show notes for the listeners so they can check that out. Uh, so thank you again. For, for joining me today. This has been an excellent conversation. I just loved every minute of it. Thanks, Sloan. Thank you so really much, Sloan. Right. You've been listening to the Create What You Speak podcast brought to you by webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Create What You Speak podcast, where we will continue to free our minds, expand our consciousness, and untangle those thoughts and patterns that keep us from living the life we desire. Check out my website, sloanfremont.com, to learn more. Mm-hmm.